Welcome to the Bully Podcast. I'm your host, Nelson C. Uh, for today's segment, I have a very special guest. Been looking for this segment for about a week and a half to get it done. Um, and I'm going to be talking to my chaplain. Uh, for those that know, I am in the military. And to me, what my chaplain is from the time I came in was like uh, an individual that is my spiritual leader um, or, and kind of a therapist for free. Army funded, right? So, but today we're gonna basically kind of get into it a little bit more to see exactly what his role is within the unit, within the army, um, what he thinks about his own corps, what he thinks about the army, and how he helps and how he wants to help. So, uh, let's get into it. And so, today we're gonna be speaking to Chaplain Aspinwall, all right, or Captain Aspinwall. Cappy, what's going on? Hey, good to see you, sir. Yeah, all right, well, um, well, break the ice a little bit. Uh, you are a chaplain. So, book definition. What is a chaplain? So, a, a chaplain in the military uh, is someone who has achieved a Master of Divinity or equivalent degree, uh, which uh, for me was a three and a half year degree that I squeezed into five years. Right? It just takes that long. Uh, but it's a master's level degree who also has at least two years full-time experience working in a church or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever religious faith they are. They gotta have two full-time years of experience. And then who have received the endorsement from their faith group or denomination to serve as a representative of that faith group uh, to the military. Uh, and uh, But we are soldiers too, so we have to come in and there's a chaplain school, right? We, we, in our circles, we call it a schoolhouse. Some people who's not in the military be like, schoolhouse? That sounds kind of juvenile, but yeah. like you know what it is, right? The chaplain mm-hmm. schoolhouse down at Fort Jackson. Yeah. You go for your chaplain uh, bullet training, which is a basic officer course. Uh, and they, they go through the process of turning us from civilians into soldiers. Uh, and I'm not going to say that all chaplains are the best soldiers, right? But we have to at least be soldiers to fit into the Army context to be able to offer the capabilities that we bring to the table. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I'm, very, I'm familiar with the, uh, with the schoolhouse. And as you know, my wife is a chaplain's assistant or unit ministry team, right? if that's the correct definition. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do have a small knowledge uh, of that world, but not, not as much. And I do have experience with being in different units, uh, having different chaplains, and not all of it has been great. And I would definitely say you are one of two that I, I do trust because one part of the, you know, uh, from my perspective, you know, coming to speak to you, everything is in confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it kind of hold my secrets in a sense and you help me, you guide me through whatever issues I, be, I may be going through, whether it be through the, my faith or just in life uh, especially, which I like about you specifically. Uh, you, uh, from the time that I've met you, you would never really just kind of religion, 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 and that's part of your life. And you know what I'm saying? You, wanna, you brought in a lot of... Uh, uh, personal experiences and different types of uh, context and to whatever issues that I may be going through. So I really appreciate that. And, uh, and actually, make, that makes it even easier for me to speak to you. And I have really even spoke to me about like, you know, major issues, but it's just, it's a good space to have outside of uh, my normal leadership, um, you know, to say. Well, it means a lot to me, you know, to hear you say that. I mean, it truly does. Um, 
the reality is, is that, you know, folks are all different. And one chaplain, his personality, his skill set, his approach to things will appeal to a certain segment of the formation, but not so much to another segment. Right. You change up, you get a new chaplain in, and the other people were like, yeah, I don't know if I like this one as much as I like the last. And then new guys are like, man, I really like this. Right. So right. different strokes for different folks. All you hope is that eventually you get somebody that you kind of uh, click with and that, uh, you know, that can help. Yeah. So how did you get in the world? What, what made you want to be a chaplain in the first place? Mm, so, you know, I had a boyhood dream, all right? Uh, as a young American boy, I wanted to put on this uniform and I wanted to serve my country. I remember when I was in high school and the first Gulf War broke out, I, was, I couldn't wait to graduate and to get old enough so I could sign up and serve my country. It's just a, a dream of mine. Um, but when I was a, um, uh, like a junior in high school, I was 16, almost 17, when I felt that sense of call from God that he wanted me to do something specific with my life in service to him. Uh, in my tradition, right, we, talk, we, we call that a, a, a call to preach. I felt like a sense of call to, to, to preach God's word. And, uh, so I thought at the time that, well, I've got a higher king and a higher kingdom to serve as much as I love my country. So, but I'll never, you know, see that dream fulfilled. But so it's kind of cool that all these years later mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're looking at me, so, you know, I'm older, I'm more mature. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's super cool that after all these years, God granted the desire of my heart to allow me to serve my country while continuing to serve him as a chaplain. But it's something I I did think about a couple times in my career, and I was a civilian pastor for about 18 years uh, before coming into the Army. And uh, there were a few junctures where I considered, but it just didn't seem to be the right time with my family or where my ministry was at or what was going on in my life. And I thought that the, the ship had sailed and the opportunity had passed me by. And then uh, when I was, I, was, I was in a situation where I was, feeling like, uh, I was feeling like the Lord wanted me to go into a different direction, but I didn't know what that direction was, that all of a sudden I realized it wasn't too late for me. I could come in as an army chaplain. And, uh, and so I tested the waters and the doors opened and I was nervous. Did they want me? Was I too old? You know, what's going on? And uh, everything else. But, um, you know, here I am today. Uh, I'm in my fourth year of service and I couldn't be happier. Four years? That's it? Man, man, I could have sworn you was in there a little longer than that. Okay. Well, it, it's it's because I'm an old middle linebacker and I come <laughs> off a little little grumpy sometimes, and people think like he he must have a lot of military service. Yeah, yeah he's got, <laughs> he got some service in him. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you was a mili- All right. You was a a pastor prior to you joining the military, so you do have that experience. That's cool. Here's one question I did have, and I just kind of want to jump jump right into it. And the reason I'm, I want to ask this particular question is I saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge, if you oh, know yeah. where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if, well, I want to say you're kind of similar to the point where uh, you are a um, conscientious. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a conscientious objector. Okay. Um, and I'm not a conscientious cooperator, which in the movie he's represented as saying. Right. Um, uh, I have no qualms about taking up arms and pursuing and destroying the enemies of the United States. However, as a chaplain, I am not allowed to. 
the Geneva Conventions define chaplains as being non-combatants. Right. And then it makes a statement that um, because we are non-combatants, we should be unarmed. And it's interesting that the United States looks at the word should and takes it as being definitive. We shall be unarmed. Our NATO allies look at should and take it as being suggestive. Well, they should be unarmed, but if you run into some other chaplains from our NATO allies, uh, they are carrying sidearms. Okay. Uh, so they are capable and trained to be able to defend themselves. In the American context, uh, we understand that a little differently, and so I'm not allowed to. Right. So going into my question, and you, you pretty much answered part of it. Now, by the Geneva Convention and by our doctrine, you, are, you should not be allowed to... Um, uh, pick up arms, which is basically picking up a gun. Now, as a chaplain yourself, we are trained as well. For one, we are soldiers. We are trained to destroy the enemy and you know defending, defend the Constitution of the United States and um you know and its interests. How does that morally or internally mess with your mind, if it does at all? Because you are serving God's purpose, but. We are in a position where we, you know, for us to defend ourselves and our interests, we have to destroy the enemy. Yes. So how do you cope with that? And, 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 and I think the larger context, especially you bringing up uh, Hacksaw Ridge, mm -hmm. is, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Right. Right. And so you know, the question is, is how do I square that in my mind? And then how does that um, affect and influence my position as a chaplain serving soldiers whose mission is to close with and destroy the enemies of the United States. Um, and it's something that actually at that chaplain schoolhouse and that, and that uh, chaplain bullet course we actually talk quite a bit about. Uh, we will divide up into groups and allow the groups with uh, slightly different views mm -hmm to debate and to raise points and counterpoints and it's an interesting exercise and my particular group that I was in we all agreed that chaplains should be non-combatants we were not thrilled but willing to accept that we are also unarmed however all of us said if it comes down to saving lives we will we will do whatever is necessary, even if it's in violation of a policy or regulation, to save life. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in, that, in that process, as we were researching and looking, I, I actually found an example uh, story where the hypothetical was real, where uh, I think, and I don't know exactly where in all the details, but uh, there was some um, forward position, a cop or something, right, uh, that um, the insurgents came into the wire. And for whatever reason, the chaplain was the only one who was awake, alert, and in a position at that time and location to see, to take up a weapon, and to begin to defend okay. the lives of his soldiers. He did, obviously others woke up, they engaged, right? They repelled the enemy. And so there were two things that came out of it. One, he received a letter of reprimand. He violated army regulations. He is not allowed to be a combatant. 
and so he received a letter of reprimand. At the same time, he also received a medal with a V device, which stands for Valor, Valor yeah. because he did what was necessary to save lives. And uh, we don't know what all happened to that individual, but when I shared that news uh, to my group, we were all even more convinced that our group is the right group that, you know, if it comes down. And, and really, that, that's, that's what the use of force is about, though. Okay, and so in, in the American military, we have a strong tradition uh, that's not just ours, but it, it, a strong understanding of just war. Uh, what is uh, and what defines a, a justified conflict? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of uh, uh, criteria that go into that, um, but that just war theory engages not only going to war, but how you wage war, right, ethically and morally. Um, and what your, your aims are and so on. And so, so when we talk about that, we're talking about ethics and, and, and what are the rules and what are our applied moral principles. And, and there does need to be an ethics of the use of deadly force. And one of the things that I encourage soldiers is they need, if they're getting ready to go into combat, they need to do the heavy mental lifting to sort through their beliefs, their religious convictions, and their thoughts with the reality that they may have to take a human life. Because what happens is, is if they don't sort through that and come to a sense of understanding of what they're doing and why, um, they can, they can uh, experience something called moral injury. And they feel a false sense of guilt over, I did this and I feel all tied up on the inside and conflicted about it. And moral injury is actually a major predictor of PTSD. Not all PTSD is, is related to moral injury, but moral injury does amplify the chances of, of experiencing PTSD or post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome um, so or disorder. But the, um, uh, so I encourage people uh, to think through those issues. And it's something that we in our chaplain course, we were encouraged to think about. Uh, we had one chaplain uh, that when our small group leader said, you are a part of a machinery whose purpose includes the waging of, of, of war, lives will be taken. You can't wash your hands and say to yourself, well, I'm not pulling the trigger, so it, I don't have to worry about it. No, no, because your job on the battlefield as a chaplain is to help soldiers rebound from the traumas and experiences of conflict and get back into the fight. I mean, that's one of the strategic uh, uses of chaplains is chaplains can come alongside, support soldiers. When you lose your battle buddies, when you lose your friends, mm -hmm. be able to pay them respect, but then cauterize that sense of loss, right? You got to cauterize it and get back into the fight the next day. So chaplains help enable all of that. And so it was put to us like, hey, you're going to have to think about it. And I saw one chaplain in our class really struggle with that for the next several days as they sorted through, can she really sign on to be a part of this? Eventually, yeah, she, she reached the point where she understood, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, what we as a part of the American military seek to do is to, to serve justice. Uh, I remember a Navy chaplain one time um, praying at the Army-Navy game, which is coming up, by the way, super excited. Go Army, yeah, be Navy. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Navy chaplain did a really, really bang-up job on his prayer. And I remember in his prayer, he said, as we swing the sword of justice, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's a good way of describing 
what we do. We try to free oppressed peoples. We're not trying to oppress people. We're trying to liberate people. Uh, we're trying to protect lives, right? We're trying to not only protect our countrymen, but there are a lot of American blood has been spilled to protect other nations and other people, mm -hmm. right, who are being attacked uh, or, or, or oppressed and so on and so forth. And so uh, if, if our cause is just, uh, if that's what we're doing, then I think it's, it's morally and ethically and thus religiously justified. And in terms of the faith, I won't get into the weeds on this piece, but you know, uh, in the Ten Commandments where it says, thou shalt not kill, um, when you interpret that in context, what you understand is, is, is that you should not murder innocent human life. Right? It's not saying you shouldn't like kill your, your cow to make hamburgers. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, although vegans would say, hey, wait a second, you know, all right, but it, you know, it, it's not saying that you can't have capital punishment. It's not saying that you can't defend your countrymen or defend the innocent and the oppressed, even if it includes, right, uh, uh, the shedding of blood. Because you look in the larger Old Testament context and, and, and God enabled his people, the armies of Israel, to wage war, right, and, and, and to do all of these kinds of things. And so really what he's talking about is, is you shouldn't murder uh, an innocent human being and um, but you know when you understand that then there are some rules and some things that go into that that I won't get into but ultimately at the end of the day I, I'm proud to serve the American military because we have a history of being on the right side of things um, you know there are some situations where you know I might think or feel a little differently uh, of, of people who have been historic aggressors violators of human rights uh, violators of the pursuit of peace and, and so on like that. But that that's not us and that's not our cause or our mission. Okay. Well, you definitely educated me on a few things because uh, I'm going to have to look up uh, this just war a yeah. bit. Coming up in um, my years in the Army, that wasn't really explained to me in that particular context. It was more so destroy the enemy, protect our, um, our people and our allies and our interests, and that's pretty much it. And obviously, we do go to ethics training, but I think it's more so, from my perspective, it's like a check on them. You know, checking the block. You know, we're going to, okay, we're going to go fight a war, and we should not overly destroy the enemy but i want you to overly destroy the enemy you know? <laughs> I know. and the, those briefs are check the box that that's exactly what it is the, mm -hmm. the first ethics brief i did in the army i did in a, a sister battalion in our brigade actually afterwards the uh, the commander gave me uh the the battalion coin because mm -hmm. he said it was the best ethics brief he had ever been a part of in the army because I wasn't up in the clouds talking about ethical theory. Right. Right. I mean, it is an academic discipline. It is. But rather than being academic and whatever, I, I just brought it down to, to, to where the rubber meets the road and why, how, what people have to do and think through to, to understand what is the ethical use of deadly force. And uh, he, he was super excited about it and, and so on. But I, I hope, you know, and, and I think all the chaplain corps hopes that more and more chaplains are trained to be able to engage people on that kind of a realistic level and have a place at the table. Because like, I, you know, and I did this for our guys before we went into Afghanistan, because even though most of our guys are not trigger pullers, mm -hmm. right? That's not our unit's makeup. 
Um, but you never know what's going to happen. And I don't want anyone to have to do that and then walk away feeling a false sense of guilt uh, as if they had done something wrong. And, uh, you know, so, but it, it is important. And I hope that it increases uh, to help soldiers and we can have those kinds of conversations to prepare them. Because I know you've seen some things, you've walked through some things, and probably you would have benefited from uh, some of those discussions. I think so. I, I definitely think so. I mean, because... Even for my first deployment, um, well, my only deployment to Afghanistan, rather, uh, I was not comfortable with my chaplain. I didn't trust him. Um, and I don't think it was any fault of his, of his own. It was just more so um, there was nothing about him that I saw that was approachable or that he could relate to. It was more so like, yeah, I'm around and I'm going to check in the block. I could be wrong, but from my perspective, that's the way you know I've seen it. Plus, um, I saw that he was supposed to be there or he was there for one of my uh, young battle buddies that I cared about and uh, it, that turned into tragedy kind of and I wrongfully I believe today I, I wrongfully blame him for the incident because you know you cannot control somebody's actions but I feel as though like if I came and spoke to you you know about if I was the in, the individual and uh, well, you know, it's the you issues. wish he could have done more. I help. wish he could have yeah. could have done more. So that was, that was you know that was the conflict that I went through, and I, and because of him, I've viewed a lot of chaplains that in that exact same light. Then every time I I've, uh, I would you know kind of ease up a little bit, I would confide uh, confide in some. You know, for some reason, the things that I would say would come out in, in, into the light. Like, hey, bro, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I'm super, super sad to hear that because that should never, ever, right. never, ever be the case. Granted, I think I'm a, I, I was in, I have a particular uh, uh, position because I'm married to a, a chapter's assistant. You <laughs> yes, know what I'm saying? Right. So maybe they were trying to help by bringing up my issues and I feel like hey I was still speaking you know what I mean right. so um that always put a bad light on it and uh from me to you it definitely um because my last chaplain was in Korea and he was definitely one of the last ones that did it and so you were the very next one and you really turned that all the way around because you, you you and we, we basically I feel as though we got close when we went to uh, Camp Cassidy in that little uh, <laughs> in that little quarantine there, there's nothing like embracing the suck together yeah, to embrace, bring some bonding exactly like you are actually a normal person <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying you don't put yourself on a high horse or anything and um, you know exactly how to calm each other down plus one of the things too um, and I think a lot of uh, soldiers not only myself it's like uh, you are the daddy daddy if that makes sense like, as far as like, oh, man, I cannot speak this certain way around him. And you did not make me feel that way at all, or any of us for that matter. We was, everybody was comfortable speaking in their own, uh, let's say, uh, native ways. Right? And you, and so, <laughs> well, and some of that all right, comes down to the fact that I wasn't always a preacher. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, uh, you know, so, uh, and I used to work construction. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, I don't, I don't judge people on any of those kinds of things, right? right. I, I'm here to help, and I think that sometimes now, um, this is not a slight against younger chaplains, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, because we need them, uh, we need those flat, fresh legs and all that they can do, so they can do all the hua stuff, mm -hmm. right? To be able to be attached to certain kind of units, that you have to be able to bring that. Us older guys, you know. 
Like, I'm as good once as I ever was, but, like, only that once, right? I got to recover the next day and oh, bring yeah. it again, and I might not be able to. But anyhow, um, but the you sometimes younger chaplains, um, you know, they haven't found the life, ministry, army kind of balances to be able to put things into context. You know, for me, you know, uh, I mean, I am a pastor, I am a preacher, but, you know, my job is more than just that. I mean, that is one thing, uh, you know, constitutionally, why the Army has to have a chaplain corps is to protect um, the First Amendment rights of soldiers to a free exercise of religion. Uh, and, and, you know, the military sends us to places where there's no options unless you have embedded resources. And so we're, we're, we're constitutionally necessary, but what we actually do is more than just our necessary functions. Uh, and, and so sometimes, you know, some young chaplains haven't figured all of that out just yet. Uh, and, but, you know, I think for me, you know, um, it, it's, it's a great environment to get down. And I, I think for me, you know, the biggest thing is I'm a patriot at heart. You know what I mean? I love my country. I grew up in an era where when that, when that man, when the Star Spangled Banner would play, I would get goosebumps. I still right? get goosebumps. I, I mean, I still do sometimes. My eyes will, will water up at some of our events and ceremonies. For some reason, it'll hit me, and all of a sudden, just the pride of it all just, like, hits me. And, um, you know, so it's real super easy for me. I tell soldiers sometimes, you know, I'm here on behalf of a grateful nation because as long as our country must send our finest sons and daughters into harm's way or into training and operations that separate them from their home and their, their, their families, then people like me, as well as docs and others, need to be willing to come alongside and help you guys because we believe in the mission that, that y'all do. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's how I see myself. So I'm happy to help all soldiers, uh, you know, regardless of their faith tradition or their lack thereof, right? I'm an advocate for, for everyone. Okay, so that, that brings me to my next question. Um, you, what is your primary uh, denomination? Okay, so I'm Baptist. So in particular, I'm Southern Baptist. All right, so do you find it difficult or have you found it difficult to... Uh, uh, engage with other denominations because obviously um, you know you're one and we are many yes and obviously the many is not the same yes that's true you know so um, has any has that ever been a little conflict as far as like maybe you understanding somebody that is Muslim Muslim or someone that is a, a Catholic or a straight Christian or uh, maybe a, a Protestant or something of the sort mm -hmm. so um what I would say is honestly no, um, because one, I am here representing my faith tradition, and there's a certain percentage of our formation that has my same like tradition. There are a lot of more soldiers who are in a compatible tradition. Like maybe they didn't, they're not Southern Baptists, mm -hmm. right? But they're the same kind of Bible-believing Christian that I am. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, a compatibility. Um, but I'm not only here to represent my faith, right? I'm also here to advocate for the religious liberty for all soldiers. And I believe in that. And so when that Muslim soldier comes to me, I want to be sure that he's being treated fairly by his command. 
I want him to know that, hey, we, there are accommodations available to make sure that you're, re, you're eating the right kind of meals, right? Because mm -hmm. there's certain things that they can't eat. Mm -hmm. and, and so we're going to take care of them for that. Or if they need resources, right? I have resources. If they need a Quran, I can provide it. If they need a prayer mat, I can provide it. Uh, along with Jewish soldiers, right? All kinds of, uh, of soldiers. You know, right now, one of the things I've been working on is to get Catholic support. I hear for our soldiers, uh, you guys have gone without it for, for over three months, and that's like a no-go. That's like triple red, uh, and uh, complicated a lot by COVID, got it. But, uh, you know, so I reached out to the Bulgarian priest, and, you know, he's going to be here this Sunday, by the way, so let me let you know, they're going to okay. have Catholic Mass here on Sunday. Uh, and, and even though that's not my particular, like, faith tradition, I'm happy to support the soldiers because I know, and the Army recognizes ultimately, that all soldiers who are practicing their faith have a spiritual kind of resiliency that help them with everything else that they have to deal with. And so that's one of the reasons why the Army sees value in the Chaplain Corps and in uh, giving us the, the ability to advocate for those opportunities for soldiers. So, so I don't see it. Um, I think maybe a younger minister or a younger chaplain could, you know, struggle a little bit. But uh, for me, no, I, I recognize we're in a pluralistic setting. Uh, and I'm, I, I can conscientiously advocate for the religious liberty of all soldiers. Uh, while, as long as, as long as the, the army continues to allow me to be protected in, in my religious liberty too. Exactly. So to me, it's like, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? So if I want it, I, then I want all soldiers to have it. Okay, makes sense. So, and you just brought out as far as like uh, the, um, the Catholic priest that may be come down to, uh, to service. What advice, for me, this is for me specifically, what advice would you have for me? Because aside from your, the one service I attended in uh, Castorine with you, I haven't been to church in a long time. I, I'm not going to say that my face is, is tainted or that I feel it's a waste of time. I, I just, I feel as though I haven't gotten, received that calling to, you know saying, go back in a church per se setting. Because I do pray, you know, a few words every other day or so. You know, I, I speak to God and, and I am very, um, I, I think I, I, I have a pretty good relationship. It could be better, but obviously... You know, with things that's going on um, in personal life uh, and with work and, you know, all types of stressors. Sometimes I'm like, uh, man, God, I know you love me, but why, you know, every other month or something, I got to go through it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I, feel, I think we all have had the same thoughts on this uh, rotation <laughs> uh, because it has been uh, definitely different than previous rotations. Let's just leave it at that yeah. you know, in terms of what we've had to deal with and the curveballs thrown us. Um, but, you know, one, well, well, first of all, like, you know, in the Army and in other uh, situations, we talk about something that's field expedient. Right? It's not exactly designed for that, but you could use it as a field expedient replacement. So, like, my services in Afghanistan, I had Catholic soldiers, right, at my Protestant service. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I, I incorporated into my elements things that were familiar to them. Like, we, we use the Lord's Prayer mm -hmm. every service, right? I use, like, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed and things like that, that they're more familiar from, from that liturgy, from a different tradition. Because I want all folks to know that, hey, even if I'm not exactly your flavor, Ultimately, we're still seeking 
the same things together and, and you can come to the table. And so there, there are that. But definitely, you know, uh, for Sunday, yeah, yeah, come, you know, come and, um, uh, and, and be a part of that. But, you know, because ultimately faith is a, is a personal matter. Yes. Uh, and so uh, if you're not feeding that, right, then it, 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 it diminishes, it, it weakens. Uh, becomes more more vulnerable, and then rather than being an asset that helps boost you, right, it can become a little bit of a liability too. Right. So, um, uh, so yeah, I just encourage you to you know practice your faith. Got the priest coming on Sunday, so definitely come hit that up. I'm definitely gonna, I'm gonna do that. You know, uh, every now and then we definitely need that. Uh, we got to come home to the actual uh, church house, not not just the the self church or the home church. Uh, and everything else. That, that's really good. Uh, let me see. I, I did have one more question in it, and it slips me. It really... Oh, okay. So, you are you operate at the battalion level. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm assuming that part of your job is to advise our command. Mm-hmm. Don't have to give me no specifics. Okay. Is it... Depending on whatever our missions are or is, is it a little frustrating to you? Maybe like you may have a, a, a sir or sergeant major or commander, first sergeant. I think we should approach this or this mission setting and this avenue because, you know, you, you're going to be stressing these, your joes out or they need, they need some type of uh, a morale boost, for, for example. Uh, I'll just say this. You don't have to get. Um, I'm pretty sure we've been working 25 days straight, no, no days off. Mm-hmm. And uh, tracking. And, and you know, and specifically with with COVID, we the uh, for some soldiers, all they have is alcohol, or you know, the the few that have it, you know, social media and video games. So, uh, and your career thus far has it has it have you ever re, uh, received any um, no, and back off me type. I hear you, chat, but I don't hear you because I don't want to hear you. Mm. Yeah, so I've been really blessed to have good commanders who have known what a chaplain can at least bring to the table. And, uh, and generally, um, and I think partly because I'm as old or older than them, there's maybe a little bit more of a willingness to hear what I have to say than if I was a really, really young chaplain. So that just kind of works in my favor a little bit. But um, uh, but we've had great commanders who, mm-hmm. who, who, who have wanted to hear. Uh, and from rumor, from hearing other stories, other places, other units and such, um, you know, that's not always the case. So sometimes, you know, you have somebody who's a, a commander, but they've seen some of the same things that you've seen over time, and they've got burnt by maybe some poor chaplains, and so they have a bad view, and, you know, they don't really, really value them. So that's possible. That does happen, unfortunately, from time to time. Um, but, um, no, but, you know, one of the things when I, when I do advise, I try to advise in a way where there's always a willingness to hear me. Now, if I come at it as, whoa, whoa, we need to do it, I think we should do it this way. Oh, yeah. Well, that sets up a, 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 a only one person's gonna win 
right? right? And, and, and so psychologically, that's not how you approach a commander ever, even a company commander. You just, you don't do it that way. Because what I've learned in my age is you got to think strategically. Like if you want to get something done, you got to use the strategy that you meet the end state rather than you feeling like I won a battle, right? In my marriage, by the way, uh, when I get on marriage, but <laughs> I used to try to win battles. Yeah. But when I started thinking strategically, how can I shape the, the, the environment to get what needs to happen to happen, then I, I actually was a lot better leader in my home. But anyhow, uh, but on the commanders, you know, I, I, I speak of, sir, I have some concerns, mm -hmm. right? I know we have this mission. Um, but this is what I'm seeing. This is the feedback that I'm hearing and I'm concerned if there's any way that we can do. And, and I've been really, really pleased because commanders are normally like, man, if the chaplain's taking the time to speak up, I probably need to pay attention. And uh, I remember one time in Afghanistan, um, I can't discuss the issue, but it was in a command and staff and I encouraged all of the company command teams to re-engage their soldiers on a particular topic and I, I threw out a little example, and the battalion commander said, wait, everybody, pause. Did you just hear what your chaplain said? If your chaplain throws out something like that in a meeting like this, he probably knows something that you don't know, mm -hmm. and he can't tell you, but he's giving you guidance on that knowledge. You probably want to listen to the chaplain, and I really appreciated that. Uh, and the help that he gave, but um, you know, sometimes sometimes they can't because sometimes we're not tracking like the pressure that they're under. Uh, but you know, sometimes you know there are frustrations because you see. But I, I always remind myself I can only see from my field of vision, and I don't know what all else is driving some of those crazy mechanics that happen. At oh times. yes, yeah, definitely. And aside from being a chaplain, you are. Uh, some would say uh, therapists and psychologists at the same point, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever you ever dealt with some soldiers who are like, man, you know what? Ain't nothing wrong with you. Ain't nothing wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was wanted to ask that question. Like, no specifics, obviously, but yeah. like, you, you, somebody came to you, or whatever, and it's like, uh, chap, I got a, I got some issues X, Y, and Z, and you looking at them like your eyebrows raised up, like you sound like you're full of it. You know, I'm tracking. There are some soldiers that try to use the chaplain as a wine box to, you know, get some things out of it. Uh, I haven't seen it myself. Uh, maybe it's my personality. They don't. Uh, they figure, you know what? It's probably not going to go off on, on on that chaplain. So uh, they really don't. Um, Normally, like soldiers have uh, have problems, and the number one thing is uh, relationships. Um, so it helps that I've been married for 26 years, and I've been through the roller coaster that is marriage and life with kids and everything else. And so I can relate to a lot of different situations and and offer some help. But um, yeah, you know, every now and then, um, you know, you have somebody that's like, you know what, this is not a real problem here. But I don't tell them that. Mm -hmm. Right, I, I'm there to support them, so I'm gonna listen to them. I'm gonna give them feedback, and I'm gonna try to help them. But um, yeah, I'd be lying if I if I told you that I never thought like, yeah, they just need to grow up and uh, yeah, you know. But I, you, you pretty much said it. You have the experience that's you know 26 years, which is a blessing, man. Um, I pray that I get there, um, and obviously you know with age comes wisdom, 
and and we all hit you know particular parts of our life and we learn things as time passes you know sure. the one thing i can say is i don't think the same as i was when i did um when i was 20 so yeah. which is a blessing um and even this year was a little i'm not gonna say this year this past month was a little tricky for me i didn't really speak to a lot of people about it but in the back of my mind i had i was afraid like kind of superstitious in a sense as far as um uh death if that makes sense kind of off topic a little bit but i'm trying to bring um try to bring into perspective i was um my mother passed when she was 37 mm. i'm 37 all right and her birthday is uh was last month so that was on my mind for at least six months like man you know, do I have any underlying health issues that I don't know about, or is superstit? You know, that that type of that that type of stuff, and I was kind of stressing over it. Plus, a whole bunch of other things that was happening, uh, um, and it was one of them, you know, conversations with God a few times, and every now and then, and and even this particular year, I try to make peace within myself for some uh, bad thoughts that I had over the years, or things that I was carrying on, even though. Uh, it may not seem that way, and I, I figured, uh, you know, kind of talking about it um, helps. And um, yeah, and, and sometimes I just, I just couldn't figure it out, so I just kind of let time passes on. And well, you know, there's nothing abnormal about what you described at all. Um, when, when a person loses their parents, they lose almost a a shield of feeling protected not only because they're not in your life, but there is in the back of your head the understanding of I'm next. When you lose a, a, your parents at a young age, uh, it's not as much as when you're an adult and think like, oh, I'm next, but there's still nevertheless a feeling of nakedness. Like in terms of the generations, I'm next. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you reach an age uh, that you lost your mother, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I wouldn't even call that superstitious. I think you're just reminded that her life ended, unfortunately, so short. Uh, and you've reached that same age. And there are a lot of people who have been in similar situations and they've gone through the same processes. So yeah, n nothing abnormal there at all. Um, and we all have to make peace uh, with the uh, traumas and the losses that we've experienced, so I understand. What would you say to any individual that is going through some type of life trauma, or maybe not necessarily just big trauma, but some troubling uh, stressors, and how to, how for them to deal with it? And I'll speak for me, for example. What would you say to me? I feel as though, and I think everybody goes through a lot of stuff. I go through things, and speaking about them is not necessarily my first thing, or better yet, I compress the pain, and I pretty much put it in, inside of a box, and I push it away. And I feel as though over the years, I've normalized that particular behavior, and I function, I think I function pretty well with it. But sometimes I feel as though it's not healthy. Now, I know what everybody says, you know, yeah, you do this, and later on it's going to come on out, and it'll be worse. Then I be thinking, I, I think about it, and I'm like, I pretty much kind of choose 
all of the, uh, the the outputs sometimes if you press the button I'm gonna let you have it and it's gonna come out raw but even when but even if I don't put it away and I let you have it it's still gonna come out raw if that makes sense so it's something I've, I've been trying to learn over the years and I think I've I've gotten better with it but it seems I, I want to basically better myself when it comes to those either those thoughts or even for them not to dr- particularly drive my actions yeah, so you're describing compartmentalization. You put something in a box, you put it on the shelf in a closet, and you shut the door. Actually, we all need to be able to do that at times, especially in our line of work, because we don't always have the opportunity to be dealing with it given the current situation. So, so we have to be able to compartmentalize. But you're right, the danger of compartmentalization is if you keep boxing up all of these different things, putting them on the shelf in that closet, you go to put another one, you open the door and all the old boxes like tumble out, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it can get conflicted and can bleed out. Um, so um, what you want to do though is you there are there is a time to compartmentalize and put it on the shelf and get back to what you need to do, but you don't want to like run from it. Like you're afraid to open that box. And so what you want to do is you want to face it process through spend some time thinking about it maybe talking to other people is not how you process especially if you have some introverted um, skills and and tendencies right you you need to sort through that within your own heart and mind and uh, you know you want to revisit that think through make some kind of a piece some kind of a closure uh, with it and you know my my go-to tips my ABC's for for personal resiliency a stands for accept the things that I cannot change. Mm-hmm. And the serenity prayer actually prays it. it says, God, grant me the serenity or the peace to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So, you know, one, we have to ex- learn to accept things that we can't change. Uh, and, and consider how, rather than a stumbling block, how can I make this into a stepping stone to the future? Uh, and then two, the B stands for don't stop believing. Right? Don't lose your sense of hope uh, that things can and will change. Now, there are some things that can't change and that we can't change, but guess what? Its impact on you can change. And, and, but circumstances change, situations change, we move on. You know, some, what feels devastating in one season of life, we move on from, we find new opportunities and new life and, and new growth. And, and we look back and we remember how that felt, but we know that life changed and we moved on from that. And that's one of my, 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 my key tips for everyone dealing with a lot of traumas, a lot of stress and everything else is that things will change, this is temporary. This is temporary, it will end, and, and so don't stop believing. Um, the, um, the temptation that leads to despair is rooted in the idea that what's going on right now and how it makes me feel right now will never change and I can't just go on forever like this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true, you can't go on forever like that. The good news is though, you don't have to. Things do and things can and things will change. When you're under the weight of the mountain or in the moment, it feels way too much. But just hold on. Don't don't stop believing. Uh, and then C stands for cope with stress in a healthy way. 
So, you know, you talked about already like some unhealthy ways that sometimes people try to cope with stress, you know, maybe hitting the bottle a little bit too much, mm -hmm. um, you know, and other, other things uh, they, they try to do. And sometimes they're displacing. So if you've got internal turmoil that you're not resolving or reaching some kind of closure with, sometimes you will deflect and act out to other people in other situations with the energy that comes from that. You know, and people do that who are angry all the time. Like they're grumpy about something, but then they go home, they take it out on their husband or their wife or their kids, right? Uh -huh. and, and so, you know, we want to avoid those kinds of things. And so we want to cope with health and, a health and, and cope with stress in a healthy way. And that includes, you know, eating right, exercising right, those endorphins pumping helps, um, talking to trusted sources of support, uh, spending some time. You know, even scheduling some time like and it could be like when you go for a walk or a hike or something to where you have some white space in your head to be able to think through and talk to yourself it, it includes coaching yourself with the truth I believe in something called truth replacement therapy that when a lie is whispered to you you don't run from it and try to pretend like you didn't hear it you turn and you face and you say no that's not true that's a lie the truth is this, right? And mm -hmm. so sometimes you have to coach your own self and your own life and your own heart and mind and, uh, and learn how to, uh, those skills of, of coping with stress uh, in, a, in a healthy way. So those are my go-to tips in general, right, of how to deal with those kinds of things. And that's for uh, like uh, internal type turmoil, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, because whatever's giving you turmoil, it might involve something that you have no control over. Mm -hmm. You can't change it. All right, so you can learn how do I accept it. And accepting it doesn't mean that you like it. Accepting it doesn't mean that you are like, hey, okay, uh, this is great. No, 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 it doesn't mean that. But you accept that I can't do anything about it, so I'm not gonna beat myself up over things that I can't control or change. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna think about what can I do to make this stumbling block into a stepping stone? You know, What can I do to move on from this? What can I control? And, and, and a lot of times that, that's what brings helplessness and despair and anger and frustration is we're trying to control things that we can't control. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, and, and it goes back to that coping with the stress. And for me, my, my spiritual faith not only helps me to cope with stress, but it also helps me to accept the things that I can't change. Because personally, I believe there's a higher purpose and a plan. We serve a, a God of providence. And I can trust his plan for my life because the scriptures of my faith tradition say God is, is working together all things for the good of them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And so, so for me, it gives me a lot of strength when I don't know why and I can't see the reason for all this mess and turmoil. I'm still going to trust God is good. He loves me. He's, he does have a plan. And I might not see it on this side of eternity. But I'd, I'd rather go with him than go alone. So mm -hmm. I'm going to trust him and keep on going. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. That's actually pretty good. Um, the Kind of good things for me to, I think I've already been practicing it as far as like coping and everything. Mm -hmm. And I do know, and I, I do say this a lot too, like I can't worry about things that I can't change. Um, and the things that I can't control is out of my control, obviously. So I can't, I should not stress over them as mm -hmm. much. And um, one of the biggest things that I, I've been dealing with is I'm, I'm trying to choose to see if 
I should completely, and when I say completely, uh, let go of past traumas. Meaning, like, if somebody did wrong to me, I can forgive you. I have forgiven you, but I have not forgotten. So just in case you even think you're going to say something to me now, do you not remember X, Y, and Z happened? You know what I'm saying? So that's been my one of the issues that I've been fighting against. Because I was really the one like, you know what? I just continue to take on the abuse mm. or whatever you want to say. And just like, all right, yeah, you got it. You know what I'm saying? You got it. But I know what you did, but I'm just not going to bring it up. But now as though, like, you say something, I'm going to fire back. And I don't even I don't even like that about myself because that was never really me in the first place. Like, oh, okay, you know what? I did this in the past or whatever, or you did this in the past. And um, I'm not going to bring it up because I've, cho- I've chosen to forgive you or I've chosen to let it go. And there's some people that I've, oh, uh, sorry, you know Son Thomas. Damn, I'm going off topic. I uh there's an individual that I had issues with here. And I, don't, I, I think that was a one-way street. Because I, I think he was inadvertently, you know, what he did to me, whatever the case may be. But that's neither here nor there. But I treated him poorly by my action. Not my, necessarily by my actions, but inadvertently by my words. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, don't fool with well, me. what's on the inside is going to come out in right. one way or the other. So if you got the attitude of the problem on the inside, right. it's going to show itself. And I always knew that. And I think the individual knew this also. But um, I don't know if he caught on to it, but I apologized for it, um, you know, um, not too long ago. And, and it was really genuine. For my and it wasn't for me. It's just I feel like you know what. Sometimes I do come off a certain way, the way I speak to individuals or the way I may feel, whether it be true or not. You know, some some people don't really deserve that type of behavior. And um, you know, I've uh, like I said, I, I've apologized and I'm trying to move forward. And I think we're moving forward um, amicably, which is great. And also from even some individuals I know I'm not probably, probably not going to see for the rest of my life. Well, and, you know, I hope I don't because I'm really moving towards that. That I, I've outwardly said I've forgiven that individual. Because, man, I had a lot of hate in my heart. Forgiveness <laughs> is a huge issue. We could actually do a whole podcast on forgiveness. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got. I already have one, but to have somebody else's yeah, I'm just, perspective. I'm going to give, like, this real brief, like, the summary is, like, so there's a power to forgiveness. There's a healing power to forgiveness in a lot of ways. Not only receiving it, but also giving it. And uh, one of the things that, that really helped me to understand forgiveness is when I understood um, one particular definition. Uh, that forgiveness is me giving up my right to make somebody else pay for what they've done. Mm. So... See, forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did is okay, because it's not okay. If you got to forgive, then obviously it's not okay. Right. Forgive doesn't necessarily mean that you forgive, because forgiveness doesn't necessarily always remove all the consequences or the the, the, the results of what happened. Right. But but forgiveness does mean that I'm gonna I'm gonna quit feeling like I have a right to make them pay for what they've done. Now, for me, as, as, as a believer, it's easier for me to forgive, I think, because I can trust God to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for me to say, all right, I'm going to forgive them unilaterally. Even though they didn't ask for it, they didn't even admit what they did, 
but I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to turn them and that situation over to you, Lord. Let you deal with it according to your wisdom, your justice, and your mercy too, but let you deal with it, and I don't have to deal with it. When I do that, not only am I being a good example of my faith because I'm, I'm told that I should forgive as I've been forgiven, but also I feel that liberation because I don't have to carry around that person or what they did to me anymore. And the crazy thing is, is that when people hold on to grudges, like you're carrying it around, but the person who did the wrong, they probably don't even think about it or care. It's not exactly. bothering them one bit. You're continuing to suffer because you're holding on to it. So it's kind of like if you, if you ever played a game with your kid, a hot potato, mm -hmm. listen, something you're holding on, it's a hot potato and it will burn you if you keep on holding on to it. So you got to toss that thing Mm -hmm. Like in the sea of forgiveness and just let that go. But yes, you're right. It's true. Sometimes you learn something about a character and the trustworthiness of a person. And you recognize, okay, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let this go. I'm not going to make them pay for it. But I am going to set proper boundaries because I have learned now that they can't be trusted or, or, or what have you. Right? So, uh, you know, when, when I, as, I, as I learn more and more about what, forgives it, what forgiveness is and what it isn't, then I became even more empowered to forgive. But I would encourage everybody who listens to this podcast that to really sort through those things that you're actually really holding on to that could be negatively impacting your present. And you don't want your past to negatively impact your present or your future. And so you, you might very well need to forgive, let that stuff go so you can go free into the future. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to end the podcast. Chap, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And uh, I learned a lot. And at the end there, you know, I actually got my little small therapy session. Yeah, That's free, that. free therapy on the <laughs> Army's dime, brother. Exactly. All right, everybody, man. This has been another uh, segment of the Bully Podcast. Y'all be blessed out there. Peace.